grant us wisdom, grant us courage for the living of these days. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. There's a line in today's gospel which has always troubled me. And it may tell you something of who I am because the line isn't what you might expect. I'm not so troubled by Jesus' warnings about toppling temple stones, wars, earthquakes, food shortages. I suppose those images should make me more nervous, but it's another line that always grabs my attention. The line comes toward the end. After Jesus tells his disciples they will be jailed, questioned by authorities and tribunals, he says this, make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance. Make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance. Jesus tells his followers not to prepare their testimony. Don't write it out. Don't rehearse. Don't think it through. And that command always catches my attention. As a preacher, I make my living with prepared words. And so maybe I'm a little bit like St. Paul getting grumpy at the Thessalonians who aren't putting food on their own table. But I believe in the power of language. I believe that words matter. It could be tempting to take these words of Jesus as an invitation not to spend so much of my week preparing a sermon, to trust the Spirit and climb up into this pulpit and just say whatever comes to mind. And I know that I, I don't think that's what Jesus means. Uh, I don't think that's the kind of courage that Jesus has in mind. And I know for certain that this improvisational style isn't the kind of courage that your vestry, your elected leaders, have in mind. So I'm not going there. I don't think Jesus means to discourage the writers, to discourage the preachers. But as I worked with this troubling command not to prepare, I began to hear a word of encouragement. Encouragement. I think Jesus wants to give his followers courage. But Jesus is specific about courage. Jesus' courage is about words, yes, but Jesus' admonition is about more than words. Jesus is asking for moral courage. For moral courage. It's the kind of courage we need a lot more of in our world. The King James Bible renders this verse much closer to the original Greek. Settle it, therefore, in your hearts, not to meditate before what ye shall answer. In the original Greek, it says not to set your heart on an answer. It's located a little bit further down from the mind. Don't settle your heart. Stay open. In the midst of literal trials, literal tribulations, Jesus says, stay open. That openness takes a certain kind of courage not to set your heart on a particular answer. Faced with the worst, Jesus says, don't settle. Stay open. And Jesus' words today, they bring to mind for me the Israeli poet Yehuda Amakai. Listen to a few words from a poem. From the place where we are right, flowers will never grow in the spring. The, the place where we are right is hard and trampled like a yard. But doubts and loves Dig up the world like a mole, a plow. From the place where we are right, flowers will never grow. Doubts and loves 
They dig up the world, till the soil. Those inconvenient, unsettling loves and doubts, they do the important work. They help us to stay open. Open Openness may seem an odd thing to associate with courage. Our cultural images of courage are often more closed, more self-assured. I think we confuse courage with swagger in our society. Our world these days, as a result, is full of flowerless yards. Folks who are sure they are right. Perhaps we have staked too much of our terrain. Jesus asks us to be less sure of ourselves, less sure of our words. In fact, Jesus says, leave the words to me. Don't worry about having the right answer. Let me give you my answer. Moral courage means knowing that we're not in this alone. The political scientist and philosopher Kristen Renwick Moore conducted interviews with Germans who lived through the Nazi regime years. She initially focused in on the group we might most like to interview from those years, the folks who rescued their Jewish neighbors from the Holocaust, who hid folks in cupboards and in attics. Her research then led her to interview folks who were bystanders and even Nazi supporters. We know that those who acted with moral courage, those who hid their neighbors, they were few and far between in the Nazi regime. What set them apart, the philosopher and professor wondered. Renwick Moore writes about what she found. She says this, rescuers had self-images that were inclusive and broadly based with a strong sense of agency Bystanders see themselves as people who are weak on agency, with little control over their lives and little they can do to affect outside events. They think in terms of group identity more than the rescuers do, seeing themselves as members of exclusive groups while rescuers see themselves as members of a common humanity. Finally, and ironically, she writes, Nazis have a victim mentality seeing themselves as members of a group that has been treated badly and threatened by Jews, social democrats, homosexuals, etc. She writes, Nazis were the strongest communitarians, feeling close ties for members of their own self-defined group, but having little, if any, regard for those who fell outside their group. Moral courage asks us to look out beyond ourselves, beyond our self-defined groups. Moral courage, perhaps, perhaps counterintuitively, it's not about having the right ideology. Moral courage is about solidarity. The difference between those who stood with the Nazis and those who stood with their Jewish neighbors was twofold. The rescuers were those who refused to believe that religion, that ethnicity, invalidated common humanity. And rescuers were those who had a sense of agency, a sense that they could do something, a sense that they had to do something. Rescuers acted. In today's gospel, Jesus makes a pretty radical assumption about his followers. <coughs> Jesus assumes his followers will be arrested. Jesus assumes his followers will answer to religious authorities and so-called civil authorities. 
Jesus assumed following him will get you into trouble. Following Jesus will take you places that are unpopular. Following Jesus will find you swimming against the stream of society's assumption. Following Jesus may land you in jail. Follow me, Jesus said. Yesterday marked an important anniversary. It's been 30 years since the brutal murder of six Jesuits and two support staff members at the University of Central America in San Salvador, El Salvador. This summer, a group, our second group from Holy Communion, went and visited El Salvador. We went to the university, and we stood in the beautiful, tranquil rose garden at the back of the theology center, where 30 years ago, most of the priests' bodies were found. These priests were targeted because they were speaking out for the poor. They were publishing articles. They were giving international interviews on the radio to newspapers to draw attention to the suffering in El Salvador. This summer, as I paused in the little museum there at the university, carved out of a converted classroom, I found myself again looking at the personal artifacts they have on display. It's a very Catholic thing to do, to put out the the day-to-day objects of your martyrs, of your saints. You can see the Jesuits' glasses and, and their notebooks and their pens. There's even a pair of swim, swim goggles from one of the sociologists. But I found myself focused in on their passports. You see, I was surprised because for the first time I realized that the majority of these priests, the majority of these priests who died, they held dual citizenship. Most of them had been born in Spain or another developed country. And I was surprised because, at least in the back of my mind, I had assumed that these professors, that they were stuck in a war zone. Like their fellow compatriots in El Salvador, I I thought they were stuck there. But as I stared at those passports, I realized they could have escaped. They could have asked the Jesuit order to find them somewhere safer to live, somewhere safer to teach. And I found myself wondering, would I have stayed? After the death of my archbishop, as war raged on in the country, as death threats arrived at the university, would I have stayed? The difficulty about questions of moral courage is that they stubbornly refuse to stay in the past and to stay theoretical. We live in a time, we live in a state, we live in a country that could use a healthier dose of moral courage. Every week now, we pray for victims of our city's gun violence epidemic. We pray for the children who are losing their lives because our political leaders are unwilling to act. This week in California, another child took the lives of his classmates and his own life. How do we respond? When it feels like our country is ready to just add Santa Clarita to the tally? When it feels like our city is ready to add the next child to the list of over a dozen killed this year? When every child on that list is African American, how do we respond? How do we summon moral courage? I'm not sure I know. I do think the answer is partly in the first line of that canticle from Isaiah. We've hit the part of the calendar where we don't have a psalm every Sunday. Sometimes we stick in funny other bits of scripture. We sang the first bit of Isaiah. 
Surely it is God who saves me. It isn't me. The hundreds of folks who come to this building every week for an AA meeting can tell you no one saves themselves. We have to trust in a higher power. Moral courage isn't about me trusting myself. Moral courage is trusting something bigger, looking to be part of something bigger. Professor Renwick Moore would tell us, stay open and don't doubt your agency. Know that you can do something. Don't give in to the easy language of intransigence. Organize, act, get connected. Get connected to your neighbors who are losing kids. Get connected to the school teachers who are worried that a student is going to arrive with a gun. Get connected to local activists who are working to transform our laws. Get connected to nonprofits and medical professionals working to bring alternatives to violence to our streets. Get connected to the wider work. And trust that the work isn't yours, but God's. Trust that our God is the God who gives Isaiah the vision of the holy mountain where there is no weeping. Trust that God leads you there, as windy as the path may seem. Don't be sold on the narrative that this gun violence epidemic is a black-on-black -black problem or a problem in the poor neighborhoods. Don't let your neighbor be screened out, called other. Moral courage comes when we have a broader vision of our self-interest and, and a strong sense that we can act together. The Jesuit martyrs, if we asked, how do you summon moral courage? I, I would imagine that they would echo Jesus. Hold fast, they would say. Stay. Stay with the people. Get close to those who are suffering. Speak the truth. Hold fast, hang in there. Don't take the easy exit. Uh, the word our translation renders as lives in that verse, you will gain your lives. Uh, that word is more often translated as souls. By your endurance, by hanging in there, you will gain your souls. I imagine if we were able to interview the Jesuit martyrs, if I were to ask, how did you decide to stay in El Salvador? They would answer, for the sake of our neighbors, for the sake of our souls, how could we decide otherwise? Make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance. In a chaotic and troubling reading, in a chaotic and troubling time, Jesus gives startling advice. At least he still startles me. I'm not always morally courageous. I'm not. But I know that when I fret about getting the words right, when I fret about being right, there's a tendency to shrink, to turn inside myself. I also know Jesus doesn't need you to be smaller. Our world is full of small people. Too often, houses of worship are full of small-minded folks, and the preaching is focused on getting those minds smaller. Today, let me tell you, Jesus needs you to grow. Will we be complicit when lives and human dignity are on the line? Will we be bystanders? Or will we grow our sense of self-interest? Will we act? Will we till our inner soil with doubts and inconvenient love until the flowers again can grow? 
Moral courage isn't something we summon in a moment. Moral courage is a learned habit, a habit of trust. Trust that we are part of a bigger story. Moral courage means trusting what seems unlikely. Trusting the stubbornly mysterious God, the one who keeps saying, follow me, and then heads off into all the wrong parts of town. The one who says, listen, at all the wrong moments, as all the wrong people are speaking. Moral courage isn't a well-worn path. It's not popular. But history shows us it is the folks who stay surprisingly open, the ones who are willing to stand in solidarity with the least likely of communities. The morally courageous are the ones who have the capacity to transform our world. So take courage. Amen.